Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Politics Podcast. My name is James Thuller and I'm here and we're back on the Politics Pod as the States winds itself up for a return to action for two meetings in September. Now August has traditionally been a time for a States summer holiday, but it hasn't felt much like it this year, with two updates from the Policy and Resources Committee about raising taxes over the past few weeks and front pages of the Guernsey Press dominated by GST, health taxes and even means testing the old age pension. The man in the middle of all this is PNR Treasury Lead Mark Hellyer, and I caught up with him for an extended interview at the beginning of this week. Deputy Hellyer, how's the process been for you uh, over the you know, over the ten months or so that you've been in government and had this job? We've been working really hard on this. Uh, there's a huge amount to get through in, in order to in order to produce the report, uh, and I think it's a valuable piece of work. Um, I, I think uh, it's it's quite bleak uh, that the the issues that it that it deals with are pretty stark, uh, and that's uh, and it's been difficult for me personally because I'm not a, a, a person in favour of raising taxes. I believe people should be able to spend their money as they see fit, rather than the state spend it on their behalf. So, facing up to the reality of the of the financial situation and some of the underlying issues which are not apparent to the public. Uh, has been quite a challenge. You mentioned, obviously, everybody knows that you um, are still on a platform of, of no tax rises. Did you actually want this job in the first place? I mean, effectively, it was inevitably going to lead to tax rises, wasn't it? It's not one that I'd swam towards waving uh, for uh, when it happened, but uh, it's, it, I'm very proud to hold the position. It's one of enormous responsibility, particularly at the moment, because of the challenges that we face. Uh, and I'm committed to resolving it. And I think this is a, you know, we should look at this potentially as an opportunity to finally galvanise the, the state's assembly to be committed towards saving money rather than inventing new things to do that cost all of us. Okay. You mentioned before the report is, is pretty bleak. It certainly feels like one of the bleakest that I've seen, that the, you know, there is no, uh, no wriggle room, I'd say, would be the uh, overarching uh, theme of, of the report. Is, is that the way that you see it? Well, it's kind of, it reflects the way in which it was framed, which is one of my frustrations about it. And I know other members have said, oh, well, you could have changed the, 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 uh, the terms of reference and so on. I, I can't uh, uh, command the ESS committee to look at pensions. I can't command the Home Department to look at population. There are lots of areas of, uh, which are important to our economy and which could save money or, or grow the economy, which PNR doesn't have any control of. And I'm not saying we should have control. Uh, but we have a, have a system of government where, unless people openly try to collaborate and cooperate, it's very, very difficult to get anything done. Uh, and it takes an awful long time to make decisions. And th- the States has drifted into a position now where it's effectively two minutes to midnight. We, you know, the, the, the circumstances which should have been highlighted 20 or 30 years ago are just about to go bang. Uh, and that means I really um, uh, don't have much opportunity or much time to, to put in place savings which could offset it. But I think we should, the public deserve us to commit to doing every possible thing we can to save money before we put taxes up. And that's the reassurance that I want to give people. What is the, the biggest concern that you, that you see throughout the report? Is it the financial position? Is it demographics? You know, um, is it st- state spending increasing? 
It's, it's a combination of factors and it will have to be solved by a combination of factors. So the, the demographics, and this is not to blame the elderly, it's not their fault. I'm sure many people like me uh, for many years assumed that the state's insurance scheme was an insurance scheme. In other words, you would get paid out what you paid in, but it isn't, hasn't been designed like that and it hasn't been run like that. It's like a bath I've been explaining. You know, the, the taps run, people come into work and they pay social security. Uh, in in a, an insurance scheme, the bath would be automatically maintained as full. But in the scheme that we have, the plug hole's getting bigger and the taps are being turned off at the same time. So the bath is emptying. That is the main pressure that we have. And that is mainly in pensions, which is about 130 million a year now, uh, and in elderly care. Uh, and, and it's a big bubble of people, people your age and my age coming through and our parents and, and the people in between that, the baby boomer years and their children are, the, are really the cause of this. So it's not, the peop not people that are elderly now, they've already paid in. Um, it, it's people like us that will become elderly in 20 years' time. We'll move back to Social Security in a second, but you, you, just, you, know, you mentioned population then, baby boomers and, and you know, Generation X, etc. Clearly, our demographics have, have gone rapidly in, in the wrong direction. Uh, is there any prospect of, of resolving that? Because I guess that and economic growth are the, are the you know, slim hopes that you've got of, of trying to reduce the taxation burden. Yes, I mean, and this is one of the frustrations I have in the, in the, in, in the way that the, the review was framed, which has been very much an objective question of, as to if you had to raise 24% GDP in tax, how would you do it? And that's what this addresses. But my issue with it is we're not challenging the assumptions that are in there, which is what, what you're alluding to, which is that population will decline. You know, these are inevitable results of where we sit. We can affect those things by changing our population policy. And I think we really, really need to look very hard at it. There are all sorts of costs that are associated, for example, with um, recycling teachers and nurses through, through our economy. Why do we do that? Why can they not stay here and live? What is the difference between three people over five years each and one person for 15? It makes no sense to do that. And traditionally, we've had a very closed mindset towards the contribution which key workers make to our community and our economy. And I think we need to change that. And this, the same is true, for example, of the visitor economy and hospitality at the moment. They're really suffering, finding it very difficult. That's partially due to macroeconomic circumstances and difficulty of travel, but also because of Brexit. And we really, really do need to deal with those things um, urgently. Uh, uh, PNR can't do that on its own. It requires everybody to, to cooperate and, and look at these things in the round, which is why one of the proposals in the Green Paper says that the committee, a committee, a subcommittee will be created or is proposed that will look at cost savings, but that also includes economic development. It's a three-cornered hat. It's tax, it's economic development, and it's saving costs. And the saving costs and, and, and economic development, for me, would be preferable to raising tax. And, and that's why I think we should absolutely galvanise uh, members of the Assembly to commit to doing that. A population review is probably going to take as long, if not longer, than the tax review. Um, so is that realistic and, and, and feasible? Does it? A, a, long, a longer term issue, but I guess you're saying you haven't got much time anyway. There isn't much time. No, I mean, literally, as I said, this is two minutes to midnight. This whole problem has been let to, to drag anchor in the wind for many, many years, and now we need to resolve it urgently. Otherwise, taxes are going to go up. In fact, they may go up. If we can't control spending now, they may go up substantially further than the 24% set in this, in this paper. Because 
the state just continues to grow. I mean, one of the things, for example, if you look in the Green Paper, one of the, the main costs that we're looking at is pay equalisation in, in the public sector. 35 to 40 million of cost. That's the biggest cost in that list. That's, that's equivalent to raising the cost of the public sector pay by 14%. And it, we just cannot afford to do these things in the same way as we can't afford to have gold-plated legislation in certain areas. And we, you know, we are a small jurisdiction. We have to provide services which are appropriate for that. We can't expect to be the UK and provide the same services. Yeah, and I suppose that over the last 30 or so, or 30 or so years, that expectation has just you know, grown exponentially, hasn't it? It has. And, and the most recent example of that was, was the debate about nice drugs in the government work plan debate. So um, HSC didn't bring any amendments against that because the clinical advice was, yes, we should review this because there may be better ways of spending this money than on very, very expensive drugs. Now, th those are really, really difficult decisions to make. But an amendment was brought on purely ideological grounds that said, no, we don't want to review. Let's just spend the money anyway. And we cannot afford to run government based on ideological principles. But it has to be done on whether we can afford it or not. Almost everybody voted for that, didn't they? It was actually quite close, I think. Um, but the, but the, you know, it, it, the problem is it's easy for, for states members to vote in favour of something ideologically and then ignore the responsibility to pay for it. Now, we've got to a position now where if you want something new, you're going to have to cut something else. It's as simple as that. There is no more runway for us to, to burn. Uh, population, we're just talking about that. What Do you have a, a, an idea, a line in the sand in terms of what you think population should be? Well, there, it needs to be? There are two parts, as I see it. I mean, it's a personal issue, a, um, a personal comment. Two parts of the population um, conundrum. One is, you know, we need people in Guernsey providing, working in, in shops and in hospitality and teachers and nurses and, and all sorts of professional people that we must bring in that we can't sort of self-grow. So there's the, there's the, if you like, the, the economy of workers, but there's also the economy of the open market. There are, there are a handful of people here that contribute a, a very, very significant amount. It, during the, the, cor the, the course of the uh, review, we identified that six percent of people, and that's 1,100 households earning over 120,000 in aggregate per year, pay 26% of the tax. So it's very few people at the top end that are paying a really significant amount of the money. Um, you don't need many more of those in order to, to turn the dial on the amount of tax we're collecting. And that's without you know, a huge population rise. That, that's without... Um, putting pressure on housing, which is another issue that has to be dealt with in conjunction with population, because there is a real housing shortage here at the moment. There's a huge amount of pressure, and you can see it from prices rising and rentals becoming very difficult. These things all need to be dealt with in the round, but we need to start dealing with them urgently, rather than saying, well, we can just forget about that, and the next states can worry about putting tax up. We can't do that anymore. Um, social security, as you said before, it's a, it's a major part of this report. In fact, financially, it's actually more important than, than tax rises, isn't yes, it? Yes, that's right. Um, and that has kind of largely gone un, unnoticed, uh, I, I guess, so far. What, can you outline what the major issues are in relation to Social Security? Well, part of the review has looked at some of the inequities in, in Social Security. There is an example in the, in the Green Paper of a, 
a set of different people with different circumstances who have £50,000 of income per year, for example. And, you know, in, in a self-employed circumstance, they would be paying 3600 I think, from memory, in Social Security per year. But somebody who organises themselves so that they only earn a small amount, but they have a significant amount topping it up of unearned income, um, they're only paying £660. So there's a, there's a very significant amount of inequity in, in the system. And that's, that needs to be corrected anyway, I think. I mean, if there's one thing to come out of this review, it's the fact that we do need a fundamental root and branch reform of Social Security, because over a period of years, it's drifted away from its original intention. You know, we've got lots of individual pots of money uh, which we're using to try and manage different problems, but we need to start looking at things in the round. I mean, in the longer term future, I, I can't see why we need a separate ESS from, from, from Treasury function. They're both tax raising um, groups they have the same functions, they should all be under one roof uh, because all we're doing is duplicating effort otherwise. Um, the, the health tax, which was Proposition 1, which some people, I mean, it really, in honesty, is just an additional income tax, but it's tagged as health tax in order to enable people to understand what it's for. That is 3% of income tax. The baseline, if you put every, for every notch, 1% notch of income tax that you raise, uh, you produce 13 million of revenue. So that 3% produces 39 million. That's not even halfway to the total we need. So the other half, almost half, is social security reform. And then there's 10 million allowed for uh, corporate tax um, as a result of OECD changes. They, we don't think they're going to touch us uh, to a great deal at the moment, but that could all change. It may be, uh, and I think as I mentioned uh, elsewhere in the media this morning, it may be that, that tax reform globally comes over the hill as a white charger. And we can say, right, well, everybody else is charging 15%, so we will as well. Uh, it won't affect our competitiveness, but it will raise a lot more tax. That would be fantastic. I'd love that to happen. But the likelihood of it is minuscule, I'd have to say. Yeah. Um, and we would be taking a significant risk if we jumped out of step with, with other jurisdictions. Yeah, that, that's uh, understood. I mean, the reversal of, um, of zero ten isn't going to happen it, it, <laughs> in it isolation. Can't, it it can't happen. We can't reverse zero ten because what existed before it was deemed to be effectively anti-tax competitive and we would be blacklisted and we would lose business and then we'd have even less tax being collected because the businesses that pay it at the moment wouldn't be here. So Social Security needs review. I noticed the committee uh, is has its own ideas for review and is going to plough ahead regardless of what you're planning and then hopefully you think if you get your plans through you'll stop what they're doing and, and bring them into the mix. Is, is that a, a fair summary of the position? Well, I, I mean I think it's, it's, it's a fair point strategically or probably tactically actually is probably a better way of describing it for, for Deputy Roffey and ESS to look at a plan B um, because you know, there is fear, and, and Deputy Rob has a great deal of experience, there is fear amongst experienced politicians that, that the states, given these opportunities to say no to something, and particularly raising tax, will simply say no. Um, but there is no other option. That, you know, if we don't commit to pulling up the drain lids on some of the money that we're spending uh, and cutting back, then we will have to raise tax. And Social Security, you've, you've floated up the concept of uh, means testing certain universal benefits. Is that realistically ever? I mean, you can look at it, but is it realistically ever going to happen? Well, I don't see any reason why not. I, I'm sure there will be members who who will stand up and say we should be have a higher rate of tax for the wealthy. But why why have a bureaucracy 
collecting more tax from the wealthy in order to pay them a state pension they don't need. It's, it makes absolutely no sense. All it does is create cost. I think if you, if you have, and let's, let's, let's not forget, and, and, and I'm not suggesting this outright as a possibility, but it's something we should look at. If you have, if you're paying very significantly out-of-market pension benefits to the civil service, for example, and there are a large number of people working in the finance sector who are getting generous pension benefits, should we be paying them a state pension as well? Because that, you know, if it's damaging the economy to have to raise tax in order to pay people benefits they don't need, then we're, we're shooting ourselves in the foot, quite literally shooting ourselves in the foot. The other thing is that, you know, we have a very, very innovative, world-leading finance sector here, and we haven't asked it to help us with solving any of the financial issues that we have. There are lots of opportunities for securing liquidity out of property that doesn't have mortgages on it, for example, which doesn't mean taking um, elderly people's homes away from them, but it can raise an income um, which could go towards their elderly care or, or supplement their pensions. And we could bring in uh, you know, some of the, the bright thinkers and the innovators in the local industry to help us to solve these solutions without the states having to do it. I don't see that every, every problem that that individuals have has to be solved by the state. I think the private sector does it much faster and much more efficiently. Would you um, reverse long-term care insurance and move, yeah, pay for it some other way? And Because you will appreciate that is a massive issue for many elderly uh, people who say, I've worked hard all my life, save for this, no way am I giving it up uh, now. And that was the issue when that was introduced nearly 30 years ago. And that's right. I think the, the misnomer there is the word insurance, because insurance companies, and I, I'm very familiar with, it, with insurance companies uh, and running them and directing them, they maintain pots of money, uh, reserves against likely claims. Now, our insurance, our long-term care, has not been reserved in that way. It's running out of money already, and we're nowhere near um, the peak period at which it's going to be called upon. I do think there are other opportunities. For example, that a lot of people move to the island at a certain age, they've never contributed to the social security system, the state could create a, 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 an insurance policy for people to buy which would cover their medical care and their elderly care. And, and it's relatively easy for the state to be able to do that. That doesn't mean us doing our own, make, you know, reinventing the wheel in our own insurance company. We have a ready-made industry. It's a European leader. It's a global leader in longevity and pension risk. We haven't asked it to help us solve any of the problems that we have and I think we should and we should do that urgently and I'm sure they'll do it with open arms. Just to, to conclude on the, on the means testing, are you happy to analyse all areas of means testing uh, you know, and, and universal benefits and realistically what would you say are the chances of, of that ever you know ever becoming a reality? Well, I think you know, a lot of islanders will, will be concerned at that that prospect the but minute a, you raise you know, it. But a lot, of, a lot of islanders should be concerned about the amount by which their tax is going to have to go up to pay for this. That, that's, that's reality. You, there is cake and we can't have cake and eat it. The, you're either going to have to pay through it in tax or save it in what we're paying to other people. And I think, you know, I sat down with several people and said, give me a list of people that you don't think need a state pension who are in their 70s. And, and most of them can name several dozen people that don't need a state pension. So we could be saving money because the actual aerial analyses on these things means that moving the numbers by a very small amount um, means that you don't have to pay anywhere near the amount going in at the front end. I don't need a state pension. 
you know, I'd be quite happy for the government to tell me we're not going to pay you one and carry on paying my social security. Now, there are some politicians, and they, you know, I'm, I'm not going to name them because I don't think blaming people is, is the right way to proceed with solving these sorts of issues, who would say, well, that's not going to turn the dial. But we haven't asked the question and we haven't done the work. So let's find out. If it won't turn the dial, fine. But, you know, let's examine areas where we can save. And let's examine areas where we can mobilise assets to generate income. So, you know, those who are going into elderly care, I know during the last states, uh, they attempted to bring in a system whereby bonds would be taken and money and so on. It, it doesn't need to be done in that way. That, you know, it, you can, for example, leverage an asset which doesn't have a mortgage on it by borrowing against it. And you can invest that borrowing and produce an income from it. And it doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't have to endanger somebody's property. So that there are options, I think, that need to be examined that could save. And it's not just going, there's no one silver bullet. I completely accept that. I've heard comments and, and um, they've been reported to me because I don't follow Twitter, but um, about austerity on stilts and so on. Well, yeah, that would, I mean, if, if you just fired people, that's exactly what you'd get, austerity on stilts, because there'd be, no there, you know, there'd be there, nobody there to answer a 999 call or, or to turn up in an ambulance or to see you in A&E. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a much more intelligent view of what we're spending uh, money on and where we're providing support and where we can raise money in areas that, where there, you know, there are assets but no income. You have, I mean, you're talking about savings there. You did uh, say that you would outline um, potential savings. I mean, I guess you're doing it now. Do you have any other, uh, any other ideas? And how realistic do you feel some of these are? Or are they all at the exploratory stage? Well, I mean, I gave you an example uh, on page nine of the policy letter. One of the areas identified, which is the, actually the biggest cost potentially annually, is equalising pay across different areas of, of, the, of the public sector. Do we really need to do that? That's the question I would ask. You know, th these things need to be challenged. The, the, what I'm saying, you know, that one of the frustrations I've had with this process has been that we are not challenging the assumptions. We're just saying, this is how much we're gonna spend, this is how much tax we need to raise for it. That is not the way that I would run it if I was running a business. I would say, well, why are we spending this? Why can't we save money there? Uh, and I don't think the public trusts government not to waste money. And we need, to, we, need to, we need to take people along with us and they need to trust. I mean, one of the reasons I said I don't want to put tax up is because I want the public to understand that I think we should do everything we possibly can to save every penny we can before we start charging people more to do it. Because putting tax up is the lazy option. You know, public sector reform, for example, the savings associated with that, is very difficult to achieve. A lot of people's jobs are going to be threatened as a result of that. A lot of people, I mean, in, in unprecedented numbers. And doing that and seeing it through to the end it, it is not going to be easy. You're uh, indicating savings of £10 million a year uh, in that regard. Um, what's the time frame for that? And realistically, how confident are you on delivering £10 million of savings? I, I'm not confident at £10 million, uh, if I'm honest. But uh, I, I think part of, part of the benefit of, of going through the process is demonstrating that, that you know, we do need to see fundamental change in the way that our services are delivered. That will produce uh, benefits, but I think they're much longer term. Um, going into a more um, online system and a you know, single portal where you can do everything you need to do. Every interaction you have with government was in one place. All of your data is in one place. You don't have to continually re-put it in. 
you know, with lots of different websites, lots of different computer systems. That will certainly deliver benefits. Um, as a policy and resources committee, we're definitely committed to doing that. It's not a personal area of, of, uh, that I'm responsible for. That's Deputy Mahoney and Deputy Salisbury. Uh, and I expect that the process which has been stalled um, for various reasons, partly COVID, but that's not the entire reason for it. I do expect that's going to start shortly. There will be a separate announcement about that, but we are committed to delivering it. And, but it's not going to be easy. Uh, and that, I mean, I'm hearing there, is it really more cultural change rather than significant uh, financial change? I, I think that's right. Um, you know, part of the part of the issue that we have. Uh, and I'm not going to sit here and advocate executive government. I, I would like to give consensus government a bit more of a chance first. Um, there are those that clearly don't want to collaborate in any way that are quite happy to, to uh, snipe uh, rather than contribute. But the, you know, the, the silo system that we have where you know, committees are very defensive of their staff and they're very defensive of their, of their mandates and stuff, that, we need to break that down. Uh, and as politicians, I think we have a responsibility to, to really challenge the, the, the way in which these things work. We can't continue to operate in a kind of inter-knee sign, this is our budget and we're going to protect it at all costs way. That, that is one of the reasons why, why spending gets out of control, because people just go and spend it. Uh, and that needs to stop. You've mentioned this before, um, and I've seen it flagged up many, on you know, many other areas. There is, a, uh, there is opinions out there that believe that actually states members will not uh, back any tax raising plans at all and would vote this whole prospect down. Are you worried about that? We have to have an open debate about it and I just don't, you know, there, there are other commentators, um, some ex-deputies who, who have access to grind clearly, who, who say, well, everybody should have known what the situation was like. Well, I think that's nonsense. Um, it's much worse than I ever thought it was, uh, and it's significantly worse even than was pr projected in, in the papers that were presented um, to the last assembly last January. You know, getting to 24% of GDP uh, as, a, as a tax, which is what this, these proposals would do, is a very conservative and difficult target to hit without massive change in the way people uh, approach uh, their political careers and how they how they behave in committee and, and in, indeed in the assembly, you know, there's a lot of time wasting. It takes an enormous amount of time to achieve anything. Uh, I'll give you an example: broadband. The decision was made last December. It's going to be October, November before we debate it. I mean, it shouldn't take a year to do something so obviously beneficial to the community, and have to go through this very long-winded and expensive and cumbersome. I mean, it, it, you wouldn't believe how difficult it is to get, get anyth actually get anything done. Um, if, if the, the issue, of course, for states members, we've reached the end of the runway with, with kicking cans down the road. We literally have reached the end of the runway. So if, if states members say we're not going to raise tax, then in four years' time when we get to the next election, I will be in a position as Chancellor where I'm having to say, right, that's it, 20% off your cash limits next year. You have to find the savings. But I guarantee what will happen is that people will weaponise that and start getting rid of frontline services because that's the best way to undermine policy and resources and it's the best way to undermine me. That's just the way it will work. And I want to try and get everybody to work together first. If we can't work together, then we need a different government system. Simple as that. Okay. If the, if the Green Paper as a whole is voted down 2019 or whatever, where does that leave you? 
do you go ahead and still carry out this work? Because you're saying, you know, despite a, a no support for any individual package, perhaps, you still need to do something. So do you still go ahead with something? And if so, what might that be? We have to fill the gap. You know, the only way to fill the gap is, as I say, it's a three-cornered hat. It's raise tax, it's cut costs, or grow the economy. Now, growing the economy is a big ask at the moment. It's very difficult. Um, I hope that there will be enough states members committed to cost savings in particular uh, as, a, as a balance against the, the taxation side of things that, that this will be carried. Because we have to start making the prep now, if we're going to have a GST or, or, or we're going to have a health tax or reform social security, we need to start doing it now so that we've got firm proposals next year so that this can happen before the end of the term. Otherwise, it will go into the next term. Yes. And then the next term, the next chancellor, whoever it is, um, sat answering your questions. And, and funnily enough, this was a question I was asked this morning. Well, you know, you said you wouldn't put taxes up. And I was like, it makes no difference who sat in this chair. If it were, you know, Deputy Trot or Deputy St Pierre or whoever, um, they will still be faced with the same challenges. So, you know, you can't square the circle. Something has to move. And even if states members say no, no isn't one of the options. Indeed, right. We haven't yet touched on tax raising. Let's uh, let's go there now. When you outlined this proposal three or four weeks ago, you preferred the. 8% GST with the um, uh, amelioration measures at the other at the other end. That's right. Um, that, that's still your still your position today. Yeah, that's what will be um, recommended out of those three options, and and the reason for that is because it's been designed in such a way as to be uh, less regressive, in fact, than the other two proposals. So, uh, in that proposal, you would have a GST which rose over a series of years to 8%. Uh, and there would be also be reform of the social security system underneath it. Now that's roughly cost neutral, um, but there's an allowance as well for some corporate tax, which is uh, not a significant part. That it's the same for every option. But the way in which, if you collect more in GST, you can do more in terms of allowances in social security and in income tax to take people out of what is currently in the tax net. Um, at the moment, Social Security, for example, a very unusual thing, say, is a, I can't remember the exact figure, it's 7,600 and something odd pounds you pay before you start to contribute. But once you go a pound over the limit, you pay ground from the ground up, whereas income tax is a different way. So there are no Social Security allowances that take people, that can take people out of the net, and that is part of the recommendation, that we make it fairer. And having allowances for people in Social Security as well as income tax means that it, it you can effectively give back some of the tax by um, removing people from the tax net at the bottom end. And if you look at the graphs that are in the, in the um, green paper, you can see that that proposal is the least uh, regressive, in fact, of, of the others. Um, now, they can, all be, they can all be tweaked. You, know, you, can, you can change the rates that you put on Social Security so that you, you know, the whole thing could be Social Security if you wanted it to be. Um, it, it is another form of tax in any event. Um, but uh, the, other, the other issue about GST is that it spreads the load across a broader base of persons paying. So, for example, people visiting the island who go out for dinner will pay and contribute towards the tax system who don't at the moment. Somebody coming to do a plumbing job for somebody from the UK uh, who's staying at a, a local hotel and shopping and so on will be contributing additional tax to the tax state that they aren't at the moment. And... Having a system, as we do at the moment, which is 
absolutely and entirely based on income tax based uh, solutions. If you've got a, a declining working population, then and you have some sort of economic shock. You, you really, all of our eggs in, are in one basket at the moment, and that's part of the reason why. The other, of course, is that we're almost unique in not having a GST, a consumption-based tax, um, worldwide, and certainly in, in, in line with competitors that have been analysed by Deloitte, who, who've been advising us as part of this. So it, it doesn't take us out a step from a competitive um, perspective. I, I, it says in my manifesto I'm not in favour of GST and I, I, you know, I'm not in favour of any taxes to be honest with you, I'd rather people spend their own money rather than the, the state spend it for them. But of all of the options that we have here, and none of them are nice or easy or palatable, um, that is the one which this committee, and it includes Deputy Roffey and it includes you know, um, a former head of, a, of an accounting firm who's a, a non-states member on ESS and another accountant. Um, and advised by Deloitte, we believe that that is the one which is least regressive and will have least economic impact in the longer term. You talk about international competitivity. Uh, you remember GST started in Jersey at 3% and everybody yep. knew that it would go up. If you start at 8%, is it going to go up? No, it wouldn't be the intention to start at 8 So the, the, the timeline would be uh, if, if the States accepts it, and it may not, it may give us guidance that it wants to see two things at the same time, who knows? Let's let's see what the debate says. But um, the proposal would be to come back to the states middle of next year, probably July, with with proper grounded out proposals. In the meantime, there would be a lot more, I think, public consultation because there hasn't been enough. Uh, I completely accept that, which is why this is a green paper rather than a policy letter saying we're just going to do this. Um, after that, then it would probably take, if you had a GST, it would take two years to put in place implementation. You need to give business opportunity to, to, to uh, gear itself up for it and have the right reporting um, standards and so on. And then you would start at a lower level, so probably 3% to start with. And you would build it up over a series of years because the, the pressures that we have on, on, on budgets and spending at the moment, then we don't need to fill the gap right this minute, we can build it up over a period of time because the, it's the longer term that's the issue rather than the, the, the immediate future. Um, that said, the, you know, the forecasts and assumptions on which the baselines are built could change and they can change rapidly. We might have another variant of COVID in six months time, touch wood, that doesn't happen, um, which could be you know, vaccine resistant. We could be back to square one again. And that, you know, th those are the kinds of problems that we're having to take account of and make sure that we've got enough, uh, enough wood in the, in the log pile. So, so your intention, should GST go through this time and again in, in summer 2022, that you would have this up and running by the time of the next election, summer 2025? Well, that, that would be the timeline for it, yeah. yeah. I mean, what I'm really hoping for is that states members absolutely commit to saving and that we don't end up in a position where we have to put taxes up anywhere near the amount that's set out in this document, but I can't deliver that. That's not for me to deliver, it's for other people to deliver. As you said, you were asked to work on the basis of how do you raise tax to 24% of, of, of income. Um, the report puts a, you know, a, a, a spectre of, of an option of perhaps you need as much as 28%, but you're confident yeah. that you could deliver on 24 um, all, all being all being well. Realistically, are we are we okay with twenty four, or actually, do you think we're going to end up having to dig even deeper? 
The, the honest answer to that is, it, uh, no, I'm not confident. Um, and I'm not confident, thinking of, which I still do because I haven't been a States member long enough to remember being a taxpayer and being outside of the States. Um, I've seen a lot of decision making in the last few years which is flawed. Uh, and, and which is over ambitious and which tries to create, you know, gold-plated everything. It, we just can't can't do that. And and I don't know whether I can trust all my colleagues, in the, or the majority of them, um, not to carry on doing that in the same way. Because if we do carry on doing that in the same way, tax has to go up. We will never hit the twenty-four percent. No, there's no prospect whatsoever. Twenty-four percent is an ambitious target. Uh, and it, but it does. We really, really, really need to prove to the public that we can save. So when you say ambitious, it's ambitious because it's low? Yes, right. it's at the bottom end of the scale. Mm. So the, the January 2020 uh, policy letter um, set out spending range of between 80 and 130 million. And so we're looking at 75, which is at the very bottom end of it. Um, it, it, it doesn't need to get much worse before the, the, you know, the taxation potential becomes much more significant. And, you know, there are, there are people who will say, well, you know, let, let the wealthy pay for it. But they, they don't exist. It's a myth. The 6% of, of islanders, that's only 1,100 households, pay 26% of the tax. And if you wanted to raise, as I give you an example, it's, it's set out in, in, the, in the green paper, but everybody, in order to raise £40 million in, in high-level, high-rate income tax, if you draw the line at everybody earning over £60,000 a year, which is, you know, it, it's much higher than the median age I, uh, wage I accept, but it's not super wealthy. That would require everybody earning over £60,000 to have their tax rate in increased by 10%. So that would take everybody over 60000 to 30% income tax, plus 11% social security, or 12 if they're employed, on top. So you're already at 42%. So if you want to raise £80 million, you've got to raise their tax rate to 40%. Plus social, you take their tax rates over 50%. It's completely unachievable. So for those that think it's just, you know, someone else can pay, it's just not true. And you will drive out, you only need to drive out probably a dozen people at the higher end uh, in order to make this completely untenable. Hello again, and thanks to Deputy Hellyer for his time. Now I'm afraid it's time for a bit of an apology from me. Uh, due to a technical glitch, we lost the last few minutes of audio in the interview with Deputy Hillier. Uh, we did have a backup, however, so we'll continue now with an audio that's of lesser quality, but still audible. Obviously, the report has come out in the last few days. A couple of weeks ago, you uh, came out with a statement on, on Facebook, which took a lot of people by, by surprise, where effectively um, you almost put the skids under the whole, uh, the whole report, it's, it's the way that, that it came out. Why did you make that statement? What were you hoping to achieve? Well, I think people deserve to know what my principles are in, in approaching, answering what is an objective question. The objective question is, if we have to raise tax to 24% of GDP, how would we do it? And that, we worked very hard in the committee um, with quite um, you know, different political views in it to reach a consensus on how that ought to be done in the fairest possible way for the public. And that will be presented. It's for the Assembly, it's not for me to, to uh, change. I only have one vote. You know, we have a system where we do everything in a committee of 40, which I think is a nonsense, but that's a personal view. Um, I think the public deserve 
a commitment from states members that we will not raise tax unless we've turned every stone on the foreshore over to make sure we are saving money and that we've got everybody on the bus faced in the same direction making sure that they do the same thing because it's not for just for the civil service or other areas to focus on cost savings. It's for us, as states members, to make sure we don't suggest things that we don't need to do. And I think, frankly, a lot of the feedback I get, the public are fed up with seeing waste. They're just fed up with it. And I don't think we have public trust that if we put tax up, we won't just waste that as well. So I think it needs that kind of commitment. And that's why I said it. Now, it's a trite point. I doubt you'll get a line of, of uh, politicians saying that they want to put tax up. So why would I not say that? But the, the, the point is, I was being misrepresented in, in terms of uh, my personal views. I, I still don't think raising taxes at the moment is a, is, a, is a great idea, but what I'm saying is we have no choice. Uh, I can't, as a Chancellor, as a responsible public servant, um, recommend that we run deficits, because we will literally run out of money. And somebody will pick the phone up to ring 999, and there will be no deal at the end of the phone. And we can't have that. Do you, uh, we've touched on this earlier, you know, about you taking on this role. Are you now relatively comfortable with, with where you are? And are you determined to see this through to some kind of solution? I mean, clearly there's a lot of downsides for you, but you could also argue there are upsides if you can prove the, um, you know, the desire to, to save money and, and to, you know, to sort out the finances in that regard. Well, as I said, you know, we need everybody on the bus pointed in the same direction, uh, because that's what consensus government is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about people collaborating. It's not supposed to be about people sniping, making personal comments on Twitter, and trying to undermine the operations of government by leaking confidential information to limited groups of people. It's supposed to be about everybody working together. And that, that either works or it doesn't. If it doesn't work, and there isn't a majority, then the only other alternative is to change the government system so that people have to do what they're told. We have an executive system rather than a system where people work together. Now, there is quite a lot of working together going on, and I think it's very positive, but there are individuals who seem determined to just undermine everything at every opportunity. And, you know, it's a shame, because I think there are some, some individuals on the back who have a lot to contribute, but they're not. What would you say in the debate, you know, to, to, uh, to, to kick this off, and how do you hope that debate goes? Well, I think I might start off with a Spike Milligan quote, you know, his epitaph on his gravestone says, I told you I was ill, um, because that really is something that you know, we should, we, government should have picked this up. I don't like the kind of um, tit-for-tat sort of punch and duty politics where you stand. I could, I could spend hours blaming other people for, for the position that I'm in, but it won't solve the problem. So we have to get people to commit to, to actually facing up to where we are and where we've got to. Not standing up and saying, oh, this is so-and-so's fault. I mean, we sat in a room with many photos of illustrious predecessors from various uh, Treasury and, and Policy Resources Committees. Um, I could easily point the finger at them and say, look what, how short-sighted it was, and they were just you know, toying with, with public favour and so on. That, it isn't going to move the dial on any of this. We need to actually finally focus on what the problems are and try to resolve them. And we can only do that by working together. And that's the reality of it. People say, well, you don't favour tax writers. Well, I don't. What politician does? Nobody favours tax writers. But I also don't favour massive reductions in public services. We just need to make sure we provide value for money. Okay. 
Dr. Mark Hogan, thanks for your time today. Well, the states will debate this green paper, which means it can't be amended, but will give the committee a good steer on members' thoughts at the end of September. But first, they'll be back in the States Chamber on Wednesday the 8th of September to conclude debate about secondary education and post-16 education, as well as a number of other issues. My colleagues Helen Bowditch and Simon Delarue will be back that week with the Six Minute States podcast throughout the week. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your summer recess and it's goodbye from the Guernsey Press Politics Podcast. <laughs>